This is Death Watch, the monthly podcast where we eulogize one of the greats who has recently passed by watching some of their work that we weren't previously familiar with. My name is Matt Brown. Hi. Uh, we're recording today on uh, December 15th. It's the last episode of 2019. It's going to be hitting your feed uh, about a week and a half from now, Friday, December 27th. Uh, and today we're going to be discussing the work of René Aubergenois, who died just last weekend at the age of 79. Uh, he was a member of what we would call the Altman Repertory Company, the, the group of actors who Absolutely. circled Altman's work uh, throughout his life. Uh, so I watched uh, Altman's 1972 film, Images, uh, and you watched Eyes of Laura Mars, is I that right? I watched Eyes of Laura Mars because I've seen all of the Altman films. Sure. Uh, certainly all the ones that he was a part of. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I watched the Eyes of Laura Mars. Fantastic. Uh, directed by our friend Irvin Kirshner. Oh, love that guy. Yeah. That's why I know that film. Yeah. 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 Um, so we'll talk uh, We'll talk about those films and about uh, Aubert Genois himself in a few minutes. But before we do that, everyone's favorite part of the show. Hey. Roll call. Roll call. Boy, let's well, let's just let's just call it off the top and say, uh, let's R.I.P. for 2019, which by the time you hear this will be all yeah. the way over. So. And you know, in in popular parlance, the decade. Now, some mathematician or astrologist is going to come on now and say, "No, it's hey, by the me. way, hey, oh, you can't do that." Let me let but, me explain. But, but the people because I'm busy have spoken. Can I just say I'm busy teasing someone? online right now who i don't know this person but i am teasing them about this all right so whereas the aughts or the teens as we are in right now is a decade Mm -hmm. for sure it is a 10-year period that we call the teens that runs from january 1st 2010 yep until yep december 31st 2019 it is not the decade because the decade Mm -hmm. would have to go in tens and there's no year zero well not that you know so no, there definitely is not because I don't Pope think Gregory made sure. them up in the 1400s. Well, that's the problem, so, right? No, There's no. an arbitrary it's invention the of the beginning of time. The calendar is we arbitrary, don't know yes. when it started. That's right. It's not the beginning of time. Do you think time started in, when no, Jesus was No, what I'm saying born? is this guy made a bunch of shit up. So there's a, there is actually a year zero. No, there because isn't. Because before the year one, there is a year zero. No, there's a year negative one. There's no year there zero in the Gregorian calendar. One. There's no year zero. There's there's one, and there's one BC. That's it. There's no in the middle. I don't agree. The, it's not to agree or disagree. It is a fact. Absolutely, it is. None of us were there. We have no idea what we happened were th- that year. No <laughs> we idea. We were there when the calendar was created. We weren't there in 2000 BC. We were definitely not there when the calendar was created. Some of us, people were there recording it. It's, well, people it's a were there in the down, year zero. The thing that we call the calendar is a written down series of rules of how to yeah. count time. Anyway, it's like I said. It's not a made up. All right. Some mathematician or astrologist <laughs> is going to be. Man, you can't. It's just a decade. Just isn't over. It yet. is a decade. It's just not the decade. The decade is over at the end of next year. Listen, the decade was the 1970s. It sure was. <laughs> Brings me back to my movie that I watched. Holy cow! Uh, <laughs> this is a wonderful, yeah, wonderful way to spend our time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, let's do roll call. So by the way, this is your fault for bringing cheer wine. Oh, is are we drunk? That's what it is. <laughs> we're yeah. drunk on yeah. cane sugar. Guys, we're we're high on imported pop. Yep. Uh yeah. So so uh not a huge it's this is not a very long list to be honest. It's not a huge month, but uh but here's what happened All right. since the last time we recorded the show. Well, that's are, the other problem. We recorded like 3 weeks ago, not right? 4 weeks here ago. Here are the so, people yeah. who have passed away in the meantime. Uh so 
uh, right off the top, we talked last month about a uh, a famous film critic with a penchant for uh, for for cutting remarks. We another one that we lost uh, this month, right at the beginning, was Clive James uh, from Australia, who was a, a broadcaster, critic, writer. Lived in the UK from 1961 until his death in 2019. He he started in literary criticism um, before he became a, a television critic in the 70s for The Observer. And he, he became quite famous for his deadpan humor. My absolute favorite uh, from the things I read was he, he famously described Arnold Schwarzenegger in his bodybuilding days as looking like a brown condom full of walnuts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's what... Which, that is pretty good. Well, that's what bodybuilders look like. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. But with Schwarzenegger especially, because he was so oiled up and tanned. Yeah, I and, yeah. yeah. A brown condom full of walnuts. Yeah. Um. Uh, Yasuhiro Nakasone, uh, who was a Japanese politician. He was the Prime Minister of Japan and President of the Liberal Democratic Party from 1982 to 1987. Um, But he was a member of Japan's House of Representatives for more than 50 years. He was best known for pushing through the privatization of state-owned companies and for helping revitalize Japanese nationalism during and after his uh, term as prime minister. He was the oldest living former state leader at the time of his death in 2019 at age 101. Wow. Uh, Marion McClinton, who was an American theater director, playwright, actor, nominated for the Tony Award for uh, his direction of King Hedley II. He played the part of the narrator in August Wilson's first stage piece. Uh, he, Over the course of his career, he directed almost all of August Wilson's plays, both on Broadway and regionally. Um, uh, his uh, The first premiere of Wilson's works that he directed was King Hedley II mm-hmm. in 2001. Uh Irving Lewis Burgey, better known as Lord Burgess, an American songwriter born in Barbados, in Brooklyn, New York. His mother was from Barbados. His father was from Virginia. He wrote 34 songs for Harry Belafonte. Wow. Including eight of the 11 songs on the Belafonte album Calypso, uh, which is the first album of any kind to sell one million copies. Did Hmm. not know that. Yeah. He wrote the lyrics for the national anthem of Barbados. He is best known for the song Jamaican Farewell, Jamaica Farewell, for which he wrote the lyrics. Uh, on my way, sad to say. Okay. And, uh, but also, he wrote the Banana Boat song. All right. Like, <laughs> he wrote, somebody wrote Deo. Mm-hmm. That's, well, someone would have to. I just, that's yeah. amazing. Yep. Right? Okay. Um. Let's see. Uh, Shelley Morrison, who was uh, portrayed Rosario on Will and Grace, was oh, uh, right, yeah. an actress. Yeah, yeah. Died at the age of 83. Um, someone who I don't know if you had read this, but I guess would be somewhat significant to you. Uh, Amnon Buckbinder died. What? Yeah. Yeah. What? Yeah. yeah, he cancer. He holy he, yeah. So Amnon Buckbinder was a film writer, critic, and teacher, a professor when professor. I was at York University Film School. Now I never had Amnon um, as a professor but a, myself. A fairly, but he taught many of my friends. Yeah, yeah, and 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 uh, taught screenwriting to a massive amount of Canadian talent that mm-hmm. went on to write, you know, really significant stuff. And even like so believed in it that like actually made a film based on a script by one of his students yeah. at one point. Mm-hmm. Like, 
So yeah, um, not a, not a great thing no. uh, to lose him and lost him too early. I think he was only fifty seven or something. Yeah, he'd like be that. about that now. Yeah. Uh, and then we come to I guess we'll we'll call this honor roll call number one. Yeah. Uh, of of a few, and that is DC Fontana. Yeah. <laughs> So I'll, I'll set the scene in a minute. Sure. Have I mean, an I, mean, I, or two I here. Uh, so she, uh, Dorothy Catherine Fontana, billed as DC, probably in some sort of concession to the very male-dominated world of science fiction, uh, best known as a television scriptwriter and story editor, worked on the original Star Trek franchise, um, worked on other films in the seven, and TV shows in the 70s and 80s, including Logan's Run, Six Million Dollar Man, and Buck Rogers in the 25th Century. Gene Roddenberry hired her to work on The Next Generation, but while she was given uh, an associate producer credit, the experience soured the relationship with Roddenberry, uh, and they wound up actually having a falling out. Um, she later wrote an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation and an episode of the fan-made series the New Star Trek New Voyages. Mm -hmm. So do you have a, a DC Fontana no, I mean, story so, so particularly? She, start, or? she starts as Roddenberry's uh, secretary right. and becomes basically the story editor on the original Star Trek. I think she did it for the first two seasons. And then she freelanced in season three, also doing some writing. Uh, Leonard Nimoy basically credits her with creating sort of what we know as Vulcan culture. Like she was sort of the Vulcan culture expert, just like Ron mm. Moore eventually became the Klingon culture expert later on. Um, yeah, so she was brought back to work on on the first season of Next Gen, uh, where she helped conceive the pilot, Encounter at Farpoint. And she also wrote an episode of Deep Space Nine, which makes her the only writer that wrote on all three of those shows. Right. Um, and yeah, she's just sort of like one of those people who are more than the normal amount responsible for Star Trek as we know it, and and obviously quite beloved in the in the fan community as as kind of one of the great voices in the history of Star Trek. So uh, you know, I mean, she was eighty years old. It's not it's not a tragedy that she's gone. No, it's but, just weird to think about Star Trek being so old that everyone who worked on it is eighty years old. Yeah, right. I was thinking about. I mean, so Picard is going to be on the air next month. Yeah, and. Um, you know, Stewart is up on eighty now, uh, yep, which right. you know, like because he started a lot later with Trek than than uh, Shatner did. Right. So they're about the same age, actually, or close right. to, um, about five years apart, I think. Uh, so you know, whereas Shatner got to kind of have his resurgence of Captain Kirk when he was still in his fifties, uh, Stewart's doing it in his eighties, and yeah, those those guys aren't going to be around much longer either. I mean, and I think as I said to you off mic while we were talking about this year being pretty bad for Star Trek, including our title guest for this episode. Yep. Uh, it's kind of nuts that Shatner's even still alive. Like, you know, I mean, DeForest Kelly's gone, Leonard Nimoy's gone, Jimmy Doohan's gone. You know, like, it's it's just... It's him, Takai, yeah. and Walter Cohen. And, and, and uh, Nichelle Nichols. And Nichelle Nichols. And Nichelle Nichols. Yeah. Um, who, who also looks... Yeah, like, I mean, these people like are... They're slowed. coming up on the end, for well, sure. Well, Nichelle Nichols announced this year that she's done with public yeah, life. Yeah, so, she, she's... You know, she's probably... Yeah, she's had some health issues and declining. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's it's real weird to live in this era where like everything is, you know, a couple clicks away, and you can sort of just watch Patrick Stewart in his prime, or you can watch, uh, you know, Amok Time from 1966, and and everyone. Yeah. So so like it's all around us all the time. It's weird that time, you know, goes the way it does. It, it elastically moves the way it does. Like last last year no this year uh they they finally finished this documentary about deep space nine 
um, which was the first thing I threw on after Aaron Eisenberg died. Right. And even there, they're just sort of like speculating about uh, doing a, a eighth season of, of Deep Space Nine, like what that first episode would be like. And, you know, it was as recent as whenever that was released. I think it was like May that all of that still seemed quite plausible because there was a big part in it for Nog and there was a big part in it for Odo. And it's like suddenly it's like, oh, no, that's it. That's, Deep Space Nine's over. Right. The door is closed. Yeah, the that. door is yeah, closed. Yeah. And I mean, the same thing with, you know, a lot of Star Trek, you know, the, the original version of it. And I guess a lot of Star Wars, too. Like, we're going to we're gonna come up upon a time where the people who made all of that stuff are just gone and the entire uh, torch is being carried by totally new people. <laughs> well, get your torches out. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I have to say about that. Uh, Robert Kinlock Massey III died. He was an American historian and biographer. He spent pretty much his entire career uh, studying the House of Romanov, which was the Russian royal family from 1613 to 1917. Um, he, he won the uh, Pulitzer Prize in 1981 for uh, his biography, Peter the Great, uh, His Life in the World. And, and hi very highly recommended. Mm -hmm. Love that book. Uh, Tetsu Nakamura who was a Japanese medical doctor. Uh, he won a peace uh, prize, and he divided his work among refugees for, uh, in the Afghanistan and Pakistan borders, borderlands. Um, as of 2016, he had built or restored eight uh, canals, irrigated 16 hectares, and supported the livelihood of 600,000 people uh, in the Gambari Desert region. Um, he once said, weapons and tanks don't solve problems. The revival of farming is the cornerstone of... Uh, Afghanistan's recovery. Mm -hmm. uh, he was attacked and killed on December 4th in, in an attack that also killed five Afghans, including his bodyguards, the driver, and a passenger. Um, so unfinished, mm -hmm. but, but incredible. Uh, actor Ron Liebman passed away this month. Uh, you may or may not remember Ron Liebman. Uh, he won the Tony Award for originating the role of Roy Cohn in Angels in America on Broadway. Wow. Um, uh, he, uh, more importantly, uh, he will always have my heart as the male lead in the movie Norma Ray. He plays the union organizer. He also uh, played Rachel's dad on Friends. Oh, um, that guy. That guy. Right. Yeah. But it's it's hard to watch Norma Ray and not kind of fall in love with him. He's he's pretty compelling. Um, so yeah, uh, okay, we'll we'll get to another honor roll call mm -hmm. here. Uh, Carol Spinney died. Yeah. If you are mm -hmm. a human alive being, yes, uh, who was born. You know, at least in the 70s or maybe earlier, this is an important person. Um, and I, I was thinking really hard about uh, between Big Bird and Oscar the Grouch and uh, and Carol Spinney played a few other characters, but obviously those are those are the main ones. And how the how psychologically uh, significant those two characters are to my own development and I can only assume to the development of most people who grew up in this culture. The, the, the idea of how to deal with feelings of fear and loss and anger and, uh, and guilt and it's just, it's there 
in their own way, I think they're as monumental as as any parent's contribution to a child's growing up. Mm-hmm. They're, they're they're ways of processing things that I that I learned that I don't think I could have learned without him. Well, so. which is part of the design of the show is like that whole idea yeah. Yeah. of taking television uh, responsibly right from the get. And and being like, no, we actually are going to use this to teach. I mean, it's going to teach kids anyway, so we're yeah. gonna we're gonna <laughs> try to do it. I mean, effectively. We're, yeah, we're we're in an era where people talk a lot about Mr. Rogers, and that's good, and that's an important thing, and he absolutely did a lot of that same work. But I, for me, I think I think Big Bird uh, is is a more compelling figure of this sort of like very relatable child, mm-hmm. right? And and. Uh, it's it's you know it's difficult to think about a world without Carol Spinney in it. Um, that's that's a that's not easy. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Uh, okay. Um, uh, we Marie Fredrickson, who was the lead singer of Roxette, passed away. She had a uh, she also had cancer. She was in, in her mm. uh, she was ninety six. Uh, she was sorry. She was sixty one. Wow. Um, uh, Barry Colin Keefe, who was a uh, an English dramatist and screenwriter, he was best known for writing the film *The Long Good Friday*. Um, uh, Phil McKeon died. Phil, Philip Anthony McKeon. He was an American actor, um, best known for playing the role of Tommy Hyatt on the sitcom *Alice*. Uh, so the the young boy on *Alice*, her I son. I don't even know what show that do you is. Know, do you not know *Alice*? Of course not. The show based on Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore, the Martin Scorsese movie. I definitely did not know that there was a show. There based was a on wildly successful sitcom Jesus. based on that show that ran for more than 10 years hmm. uh, and starred Linda not in my house. <laughs> and Vic Tabak. And he played the, the her son mm-hmm. and was very cute. And also uh, happened to be the uh, he he is or was the older brother of Nancy McKeon, mm-hmm. who played Joe Polnicek on Facts of Life. Mm-hmm. Um, Kim Woo Chung, uh, he was a South American, uh, sorry, South Korean businessman, mm-hmm. uh, and he was the founder of the Daewoo Group. And I, I highlighted this. Daewoo is, I guess, after LG and, and Samsung. It's the biggest company in South Korea. It's a huge sort of multi- business company the similar to what Samsung and, and LG are. Uh, they make cars, they make radios, you know, everything, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but what I liked about this is that his name is Kim uh, Woo Chung, and he named the company Dai Woo after himself. Dai Woo means the great Woo, <laughs> which, I, which I know is just like a, a, a cultural convention, mm-hmm. but I just love the idea of you or I going into business and naming the company fucking Matt. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Sure. Yeah. Uh, okay. We're almost done. This is a very short month. Uh, Pete Freights, who was an American baseball player, he passed away from ALS. He uh, is credited with uh, turning the Ice Bucket Challenge into a fundraiser for ALS. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joseph uh, George Joseph Lohrer III, he uh, was a, an engineer at IBM, uh, invented the universal product code. Wow. Yeah. That's how new that is. Jesus. Yeah. Um, uh, phase Two, who was a uh, hip-hop 
uh, huge influence on hip hop and a and a um, a street artist. He uh, created the idea of what came to be called softies, the bubble so- style lettering hmm. that was on uh, subway cars and yeah. buildings. That's his. Wow. Uh, so. He it, he in started in 1972. He first used an early version of bubble letters or softies, um, and that became a huge leap forward in how uh, graffiti art actually got applied. Um, and yeah, that's that he passed away unfortunately, but that's an amazing life. I mm-hmm. um, uh, Jack Scott, who was a Canadian uh, singer and songwriter, he was called undeniably the greatest Canadian rock and roll singer of all time. I went to the trouble of downloading some of his stuff, and it is just fine. <laughs> <laughs> so you're denying it. <laughs> I'm, I'm denying it yeah. a little bit. All right. It's it's very good straight ahead rockabilly. Yeah. Stuff. Yeah. There's a lot. But it of, is not undeniable. It is not undeniable. Okay. It's deniable. It's deniable. Yeah. All right. Uh, just today, Anna Karina died. Anna Karina it was uh, married to uh, Jean Luc Godard. Was mm-hmm. the star of. Many of his films, including The Little Soldier, Woman is a Woman, Beaver Savie, Band of Outsiders, uh, Pierrot Le Fou, and Alphaville, um, and uh, passed away uh, uh, earlier today. Wow. Uh, and then one last one, another on a roll call, and that is uh, Danny Aiello. I got to say, if the timing had been different, this show might have been about him. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah. Still could. Still, well, still might. Yeah. 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 We say that every month and then someone else comes Well, that's along, the thing about death. Tough, it just right? keeps on coming. But it's yeah. not, this isn't, you know, an award of merit. No. I, God, no. <laughs> like, these if people it is, aren't trying to time out their death so they've got to get on Death our, Watch. If our show yeah. is some sort of award of merit, it's a it's not a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. And Danny Aiello, do you have a favorite performance? Uh, I mean, it'll always go back to Moonstruck for me, but, yeah, you know. Yeah, I was going to say, it is, you know, and you can look at some, I mean, that is a pretty good performance in uh, Do the Right Thing. Sure. No, he's wonderful. But, I mean, he's always but good. But holy like, cow, Moonstruck yeah. is perfect. I mean, Moonstruck's perfect. just a perfect movie, yeah. so that's life. But, but yeah, it, yeah, he's, I don't know. I, I don't know if I, he's one of those guys where it's like, I don't know if I knew <laughs> that Danny Aiello was still alive. When he died, I was like, oh, Danny Aiello. Yeah. You know? Yeah, he had a very, it's an up and down career because if you look at, I mean, first of all, he didn't start until he was 40. Mm-hmm. He And then he did just like bit parts. And then he sort of broke through. I think you could probably say he broke through in uh, Purple Rose of Cairo because he played the sort of abusive husband yeah. in that movie and, and got noticed and got on people's radar. And then like, you know, did this unbelievable run of films into like the late 80s and early 90s. And then I feel like The Last Dawn just like closed the door in his career. Mm. It's not a good movie, and it kind of like was his big moment to shine. So yeah, but boy, if you look at that's a solid, solid run. No man, he was always terrific. Oh, let's just never mind those like Hudson Hawk. He is crazy good <laughs> in Hudson Hawk. Oh, he's great. Yeah. Anyway, we'll be truly missed. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um. All right. Well, let's talk about uh, Rene Aubergenois, who. It, I am told, or I recall reading, that when he uh, when he was trying to break out as an actor, obviously his, his his name gave his agent some concern, so he decided for a short time 
to change his last name to Faubert, which is Aubert of Aubert Genois with an F in front of it because his father's name was Frank. And uh, the first time he got called out, the guy called him Reen Faber. <laughs> so he just went back to Rene Aubergine while he was like, ah, fuck it. They're going to mispronounce yeah. it. They're going to anyway. do it, yeah. It's going to be yeah. bad no matter what. He also uh, said that he took the role of Odo on Deep Space Nine, at least in part, so that his uh, his uh, epitaph would not read uh, Clayton Endicott III from Benson. I will say <laughs> that uh, re- having read his obituaries this week, not that he disliked playing Endicott on Benson, but no, he just wanted to see if he could break that particular. Phenomenal, yeah, on Benson. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that is obviously my, you know, sort of go-to memory of him. Of course, growing up. Right? So I will yeah. say that having read all of his obituaries this week, I, th- I feel like Benson and Deep Space Nine kind of got fifty-fifty <laughs> play as the lead yeah. of what yeah. what Rene Auberginois is from. Uh, but the weird thing about that guy is actually really four iconic roles. So Father Russell Mulcahy in uh, in Mash. Yeah, uh, uh, utterly erased by the TV show. Of course, right? but, but like yeah, originating is, that role. It is. Yeah. Yes. Um, uh, obviously, uh, Benson and Clayton Endicott III, uh, Odo in Deep Space Nine, and Chef Louis in The Little Mermaid. Like that guy, right. he, you know everything. Right. He's and he covered the whole yeah. field. That is actually the part of his career that I was the most surprised by is how much voice work he did. A ton. Uh, me too. And I mean, all I, the way through, not yeah. just not just later on as a way of like you know dealing with getting older. Yeah, he always did voice work. Yeah, yeah. He was in The Last Unicorn, nineteen eighty three. Yeah, I mean, yeah. my God. So, Mr. Aubergenois um, was born in New York City in 1940, the son of a Pulitzer-nominated writer. And, and I, <laughs> when I read this, I thought Wikipedia was having me on. And a princess who was the great-great-granddaughter of Napoleon's younger sister. <laughs> yeah, I 100% <laughs> I like, believe it. What? Yep, makes total sense. That's in fact, the only part of that insane. sentence that does not make sense is that he was a native New Yorker. Yeah. Well, that so, doesn't track at all. So here's the thing that goes on. <laughs> he's uh, he's in New York, but the family then moves to Paris after World War II is over. So five. That years, is a better. Five. There yep. you go. Yep. That's correct. That's he claims in France is when he decided to become an actor. Uh, he spent some time in London as well when he was growing up, and uh, at some point they all moved back to the United States and uh, joined an artist's colony. <laughs> sure did. Whose members included Burgess <laughs> Meredith, Lottie Lenya, and John Houseman. Uh, oh, this is. So that's oh. how you get Rene Aubergenois. That's the that's the broth. That's the stew. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That gets it going. Can you imagine the amount of wrinkled wang? Yeah. that was going on. Probably at quite that? a bit. Oh my god. Yeah, Hausman walking around like he owned the place, uh. cut out, <laughs> just <laughs> and Burgess Meredith just cussing everyone out. That's right. You got to do better. <laughs> you got to clean the got to clean the kitchen when you're done. I'm sorry, I have a terrible Burgess Meredith, and I apologize to all of our listeners right now. Uh, so as an actor, Aubert Genois began in theater before breaking out in film in, uh, as we said, Altman's MASH in 1970. Um, he bounced, uh, you know, from TV to movies to TV to movies. He did, basically he covered everything, like you said. He, like, I mean, he was doing voice work. He was doing films regularly. He was in the Altman repertory he, company. He was also, even from the very first film, one of these actors who it's like, what age is he? Yeah. Is he a hundred or is he twenty two? I yep. can't. Yep. So the fact that he passed away was kind of shocking mm-hmm. on some level because I honestly never had a fix. It's like Cloris Leachman. Yeah. I don't actually know how old that person is. That's right. Right. It yep. seems they were weirdly a hundred and twelve at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, 
worth noting that he bounces off Star Trek at least once before he becomes Odo, playing Colonel West, the assassin in Star Trek VI, uh, The Undiscovered Country. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah, he's the guy who uh, who tries to take a shot oh, at uh, Gorkon at the end. Sorry, forgot. Azador at the end. Yeah. Completely forgot that. Yep. And then he gets cast uh, as Odo, a yeah. uh, shapeshifter from the other side of the wormhole, who became the station's chief of security and spent his leisure time in a liquid state in a pail in the back of his office. He, he stopped doing that almost <laughs> right away. But also... <laughs> but also became, you could argue, he is the central figure of Deep Space Nine, of it, the mythology of in it. In many ways. So, I mean, each... The in, the entirety of the show then winds up revolving around his, his story, people. Yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, for sure. And each Star Trek incarnation has the, the Spock character, you know, Spock and then Data. Odo is arguably that character for Deep Space Nine. He's the, he's the character who's so far outside... Human right, normal he can judge it. Yeah, that he yeah. can, yeah, he, he yeah. can comment upon it as a kind of on-screen chorus. Uh, so obviously, on Deep Space Nine, his extraordinary double act with Armin Shimmerman's Quark and his uh, romantic throughline with Nana Visitors Major Kira uh, became some of the series' strongest, longest-running pairings. Um, and obviously, those two actors were the first people I thought of when he yeah. uh, when he died. Um, and they they both made really beautiful yeah. statements. I thought. Yeah, I thought so too. Uh, he died of uh, of lung cancer at the age of seventy nine uh, last weekend. It sounds like he knew he was he was on his way because he did uh, he did say goodbye to most of his castmates before he died. Oh, yeah. yeah. So yeah, terrible year for Star Trek. We lost uh, we lost Aaron Eisenberg a few months ago, as we mentioned. DC Fontana this month. Yeah. Uh, Rene Obergeois now. This is just the way it goes, with yeah. the exception of I mean, I guess Aaron Eisenberg. Who I know it's far the, too young. The only thing we haven't lost is that fucking. Quentin Tarantino movie. I wish that would go away. <laughs> yeah, that'd be nice. Anyway. That'd be real nice. Um, Let's do a show about that. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so you, what'd you watch? I watched, oh. I watched Images. How uh, did you find it? I mean, look, look, here's the thing, man. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, here's, can I just preface by yeah. saying, I feel like if you are really deep code on Altman, like you've seen everything, yeah. you can get through Images. Oh, yeah, I got through Images. But it's... I, that is not for the uninitiated, well, was my my recollection. Here's the thing. It's not particularly good. Right. But it is not particularly good in a way that movies are not not particularly good anymore. You know? Like, I sure. Mean, even if it was terrible, which, by the way, it was not, I would no, have I enjoyed agree. watching yeah. it just because it's that kind of fucking weird mood piece is just not done by anyone anymore. Um, leaving aside the fact that it's shot by Vilmos Zygmunt and it looks fucking fantastic. And, like, you know, it's a very precise film. The story doesn't necessarily work. The script doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But, like, Altman is clearly, he knows exactly what he's trying to do visually. And that, from that standpoint alone, it's a lot of fun to watch. It's also just fun because, like you said, I mean, Rene Aubergenois, ageless, oh, either as old as the sea or <laughs> as, right. as young as the hills. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, uh, so it was nice. Uh, to I'm just s- saying yes to get you to go on <laughs> to the next point. <laughs> you. Go ahead. So, you know, it was nice. It was kind of beautiful to see him as a young man kind of prowling over the Irish uh, glens in his hunting leathers with his yeah. driving What's that? gloves. I can't remember. And, What's the hair? What's the uh, hair situation? It's just his hair. It's Is like, it flowing? Uh, no, it's, it's okay. shortcut. Okay. But yeah, yeah. Okay. And he's kind of playing a dick who's not really a dick, but just sort of a... You know, I guess an alpha male type, which is not something you normally associate no, with him at all, um, yeah. as Susanna York's husband, and okay. uh, and also potentially as a paranoid hallucination of hers as she goes quietly insane through the course of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, it was just a nice way to reconnect with him because it's not, it's, you you never he because he is a character actor. We've had a few of these situations before. You rarely see him in like a, a lead male role. 
um, which it's not his movie because it's very much about her, but you know he is the top billed uh, male actor, and you yeah. know it's it, it's a lot of screen time for him, which I really enjoyed, especially given that he had just died. Um, I don't know. I I can't necessarily recommend the movie, except I guess I'll say the same thing Ebert said back then, which is kind of what you just said, which is if you're into Altman and you've seen all of the other work, this is worth seeing just to sort of see. Yeah, it's you not. Know, look, where there's it fits. way worse. There's quartet. There's you can go way down yeah. the list on Altman. There's not yeah. everything is great, but yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's got. I remember it having enough to recommend it. That being said, you know, start if you haven't seen any of them. Start with Mash. Sure. Watch Brewster McCloud because it's bananas. Yep. Uh, you and know, and like, Rene Aubergine was quite good in it. Also, he being is a again, lunatic. Again, bananas. Yeah, totally. Yeah, he's great. Too. Also, weird fact. Thinks um, he's turning into a bird. Uh, Altman didn't want Aubergine for this movie initially. He wanted Michael Murphy, um, but Peter who Bogdan- is much more his yeah yeah man, for his right, ma- leading right, man guy. Right, right. Um, but Peter Bogdanovich was shooting with him and wouldn't release him. Like literally, would have him standing on in shots in the background reading a newspaper. This started a uh, lifelong feud between Altman and Bogdanovich. But whatever, we got Mar- our movie. We got we got I our think, movie with this guy in it. I think we know who won that feud. <laughs> yeah, movie output wise, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, anyway, yeah. I mean, I, I I I enjoyed watching it. It's kind of like if you read a little bit about how it was made and how Hemdale kind of dumped it. It's it's kind of miraculous that any of us can see. So we this can movie still all, watch it. You know, yeah, like yeah, 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 it's it's a hard. It was it didn't get a proper run. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I no, as you mentioned, I watched Eyes of Laura Mars because I looked through the filmography and I was like, okay, well, check, check, and I've seen yeah. all of these, so. Uh, and I, I didn't. I thought about doing an animated film, but then I thought it's not really. I kind of want to see him. Yeah. Right. So I picked this movie, which I had sort of was bubbling on the radar a little bit, and I, I didn't know, but was pleased to see that Irving Kirshner had directed it. Um, and then I start watching the movie, and the credits start to roll, and uh, oh my goodness, this is, this is the most 1970s high camp, high fashion. Uh, suspense horror movie in the world. So this hmm. is from an original story by John Carpenter. Wow. Written by Carpenter along with a co-writer. Uh, the the female lead is Faye Dunaway. Mm-hmm. Um, the male lead is Tommy Lee Jones. <laughs> he is, I don't know, 25. Wow. <laughs> uh, he, oh, he's, he's almost so pretty. His face only half looked like a cat. Almost man. pretty. Neat. Almost pretty. Uh, it's thin and great. Uh, Aubergine plays like her sort of manager, agent, guru, enabler. Uh, but uh, but uh, who else is in this movie? Brad DeReef is in this movie. Love him. This is a 70s movie, man. Brad mm-hmm. DeReef in a magnificent beard. Mm-hmm. Like, looks like a million bucks. Well, there's another guy. How fucking old is that uh, guy? Who knows? Yeah, like, yeah. Well, no, because when he played, no, because when he was in Cuckoo's Nest, he was obviously like a little kid. So, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, you yeah, kind of yeah. see. I mean, now he looks ageless, right. but he didn't always. Yeah. Um, uh, and then there's one ca- one uh, one credit goes by. It just says RJ. The initials RJ. I'm like. That, but there's no name. I'm mm-hmm. like, well, that's an interesting credit. Raul Julia. Wow. <laughs> also a baby. Huh. <laughs> I'm like, this. What is this? Uh, editor of this film, Michael Kahn. Wow. Uh, yeah. Like the 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 credits are polished, man. There's uh, the theme song of this movie is sung by Barbara Streisand. Nice. <laughs> like this was a big 
deal. This is the year after Halloween. Mm -hmm. I imagine that I hope that Carpenter made a mint on this script, which is okay. Uh, uh, <laughs> but I hope he made a mint. It it's shot basically like a giallo. Mm -hmm. It's very so the 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 nominal story is that she is a high fashion photographer doing what you would call 70s avant-garde fashion photography. So I'm looking at her photographs and thinking, oh, this is great. They really nailed these really look like Helmut Newton photographs from the 70s, like super skinny models in really, really um, uh, high contrast makeup, holding inappropriate, like violent objects or restaging murder scenes or but they're wearing fancy clothes and that kind of stuff. And it's this very gloss. I, I think, I hope, is this evoking a sort of a style mm -hmm. for you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, well, he's really looked like Helmut Newton. And then the credit comes up at the end, still images by Helmut Newton. Well, of course. So, like, they just used his, like, so you think of that style of photography. Um, and she is, I uh, got a book coming out called The Eyes of Laura Mars, mm. which is her book of her photographs. And she, but she has visions where she, can't see anything in front of her and only sees through the eyes of a killer who is murdering people who are associated with the book. Neat. Yeah. So she wakes up out of a nightmare having seen her publisher murdered in her house and then goes to the launch party for the book and finds out the publisher was murdered. And Tommy Lee Jones is a police detective who was at this opening and meets her because they're there trying to question people about this murder. And she confesses, and then her her uh, her art, uh, like her curator, gallery owner friend who put on the opening, is the next one murdered. She mm -hmm. witnesses that murder from inside the the eyes of the murderer, and uh, again, you know, then goes to confess to the police that she's a witness to the murder and has to tell them about these weird psychic things. And the 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 biggest and and the hair, and I'm going to get to Aboriginal in a minute. Yeah, please. The hair, the clothes, the makeup, all of it, like. You're like this. It, New York City in 1977. Everything about it texturally mm -hmm. is off the charts. Pleasurable to watch. Right. Like the big. So let me get to Arjunwa, who plays her sort of like manager, guru, whatever, helping her with her muse. He plays it with the like a Farrah Fawcett hairdo, <laughs> a huge <laughs> bouffant thing with the most beautiful 70s like sort of like androgynously sexual clothing mm -hmm. sort of could be male could be female he's very like you know it, like into the zeitgeist and est and all of this like he's it's just it's this perfect role for him mm -hmm. and uh, and it's only and and this is not something that I thought at all, but like it's only really deep into the script that they sort of tr uh, signal that he's also queer because mm -hmm. um, he's not playing it like in any overt way. But it's just like he's clearly comfortable in the sort of mushy middle of his own sexuality. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, and yeah. And at one point. Uh, she's in his apartment. The police are watching the apartment, and she has to go somewhere. And so they do the thing where uh, he dresses up in her coat and leaves, so they'll follow him. And they follow him. He's walking down the street wearing high heels and her coat, and they catch up to him. And he's like – and instead of being like, gotcha, sucker, he's <laughs> fully in character as a woman. <laughs> they stop him. They're like – 
well, where is she? And he goes, get your hands off me. And he like hits them with his purse. <laughs> it's, wow. it's, a, it's a wild choice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, he couldn't be better in it. Uh, it's really fun. Really fun. Wow. And like, yeah, everything they do, the way they dress him, everything. It's mm-hmm. it's great. It's not a great movie. Um, they never figure out how to effectively communicate that she's like, quote, seeing through the eyes of the killer, other than zooming in on her and having her make her eyes real wide. Mm-hmm. But then, then they just cut to the POV shots of the killer. But there's no like, like Kirshner never develops like a film language right. to like tell show you how this works. So it's just kind of like he's just the movie's just telling you it's happening again. Right. Like there's no so there's there's like some stuff in there that. You know, you could make this again. It's actually a pretty good story, but, like, you'd have to solve these. You need a film language for mm-hmm. these sorts of things, right? And they don't really get there. But but its performances are good, uh, and his performance is great. Mm-hmm. I loved it. Wow. Yeah. Tremendous. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that will be that for that. I mean, we've done so much Deep Space Nine content on the show this year that I almost don't want to go into it again, so I think we'll <laughs> assume that everyone God, listening not. has watched Deep Space Nine yeah. and is a, is aware of how good he is there. Um, but yeah. I just I hope we don't have to talk about it again. Well, not that'd for be a nice. while. Yeah, it would be lovely yeah. to get a bit of a break. Yeah. But, I mean, who frickin' knows now, man? Uh, look, that's what happens in a year. That's why we created this show. That's right. People die, and we're sad. But that's okay. Yes. You know, there's other stuff to uh, to think about after they're gone in terms of the shape of the career and all the things that they meant to all these other people. Yeah. So uh, thanks very much for listening. You can follow us on Twitter at Death Watch Pod or on Letterboxd also at Death Watch Pod. And we will be back next month with a fresh victim unless one of us dies. Hedrick.